Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. But before we do, I want to just pray over the word, but it's, it's Pentecost Sunday. I know I already said that again, but would you do me a, a, a favor as I pray over the, the word? Would you just put out your hands like this? I don't know about you, but I can't think of a, of a time that we need God to do it again. Oh, I think I can get a better amen than that. We need an outpouring of God's spirit in this, in this nation. Can I just preach from my heart for a second? If you understand that. There are times when the experts don't know what to do. And God bless all the experts and all of the incredible leaders we have. But listen, they can only go so far. I, I, just, I just think we're at that moment in a nation with everything we're facing. I'm not, I'm, not tell, I'm not saying that there's things we can't do, but I'm telling you at the core of it, we have got to say, God, it's either we have revival or it's bust. We have to have a move of your spirit or there's no hope. And so just without, with, the, with, the, with your palms out, just say, Lord, do it again. First, do it again in my life. A fresh touch on my life, my family, God, our community, God, our cities and our nation. You know, we'll get the outpouring that we want when we eliminate the other options. But I'm going to stop there. Turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 34. 34 verse 6 and today I'm going to be ending our series on God covenants and you how many of you have been enjoying this series man it, there's been some phenomenal teaching in this series I, oh my god I'm just so thankful that we have YouTube and replay and all that stuff that we can go back and because there's been so much meat how many enjoyed last week wasn't that just phenomenal just phenomenal <clears throat> we, we just worshiped our heart out last week and I just I love that I love that that's who we are Guys, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but that, uh, unfortunately, that's getting rare out there. But I'm so thankful that we are determined that it's not going to be rare for us. The manifest presence of God is our priority. Amen. So aren't you glad to be in a house that just makes room for God to move? Sometimes we just got to just let God move, you know, and I'm just so thankful it's not old school. It's not, listen, it's not old school or new school. It got, it's just God. This is God in every generation. It's, I, I got I'm sorry. I feel this. It's, it's for every generation. And I'm so glad that we are, are raising up a, a generational, a mandate in this house for the presence of God. Amen. And so today, I, I, I'm actually happen to be ending on worship. I'm going to be talking about the covenant of worship. Turn your neighbor and say the covenant of worship. Let's read our text. Exodus 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiven iniquity and transgression and sin, 
by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste. Listen to this. So Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. Someone say he worshiped. Then he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff necked people. Man, I tell y'all what, I like Moses. Moses had a lot of humility. I, I like that he was just raw. Lord, we're stiff necked and stubborn. But if I have found grace in your sight, I love this. He said, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. First of all, doesn't that just amaze you? He just said we're stiff necked and stubborn. But God, would you take us as your inheritance? And God is so good. He said, yes. Ah, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm already having fun. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I feel the anointing in this place. How many are so thankful that he's good? And he said, God, behold, I, I make a covenant. Behold, all your people. Uh, I will do marvels such has not been seen or done in all the earth. Nor in any nation and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. He said this, observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. All the ites. Who named all these people? (laughs) They all rhyme. (laughs) Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But listen to this. You shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. Here's the key part. Here's a key part of the covenant. For you shall worship no other God. Come on, say no other God. For the Lord... Whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. God is a jealous God. Now I want to turn your attention just for a moment as I build my case this morning. Let's, I want to mention the Garden of Eden. If you'll remember in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden was basically heaven on earth. It was paradise. If I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves me well, when you research the Hebrew word um, for Eden, for Eden, um, it, it literally means delight, pleasure. It, it was literally like heaven on earth. And man was created actually to extend Eden. Uh, it, it was meant to actually eventually fill the whole earth. In Genesis 1, Adam was given five mandates to be fruitful, to multiply. Someone say to fill the earth, subdue it. And have dominion, which is authority. How many know that we were actually designed and created to exercise authority? 
And those, those mandates have, ne- have not been forgotten. God has not changed his mind. The question is, what do these mandates mean and what do we do with them? And I don't know about you. Ha- have, you, have, you have you looked around any lately and, and just seen, it's obvious to see, the mandate is needed now more than ever. Have you looked around at all the crime, the hunger, the poverty, the hate, the injustice? Have you, have, have you looked around lately and thought, wow, what is going on in this world? It, I don't know about you. Lately, it's been overwhelming. It's been so heavy, especially with what took happen in Uvalde. I mean, it was just like back to back to back. I mean, just just so much chaos and ruthlessness and vicious. How many, how many, uh, let, let's just, let's just be real. How many of you have actually felt, it almost feels like there is a spirit of violence. I, and I don't say that, I don't say that lightly. I'm not just throwing around uh, uh, spiritual terminology just to throw it around. I mean, it seems like there are violence overtaking cities, overtaking regions. And it, it has just felt like, it, and, but, but here, it, it, and again, thank God for all of our experts and all the people who are doing wonderful jobs in so many fields. But how many of you know they cannot do the job that the church was commissioned and assigned for? I recognize the authority of government. I recognize the position people hold in society. But there is a there is a realm of spiritual authority and there is a realm of dominion that can only be executed and operated in by the church. Because no matter how and even even with the the, the eels and the things that we are are facing no matter how you slice and dice it, without getting to the heart of the issue, which is actually the heart of man. Someone say the heart of man. Even if we were to do our best efforts to try to create a dystopia, I mean, I'm sorry, a utopia, the wickedness of man would quickly destroy it anyway. But I want to show you something from the book of Romans chapter one. If you'll turn with me to Romans chapter one, I'm laying my case. I want to show you that... The root of sin or or, or a lot of the issues of sin that we are seeing, a lot of the chaos that we are seeing is actually because we have a worship problem. Can I preach like I feel this morning? Let me preface what I'm about to read and say this. Every human being on this planet worships something. I know we live in a secular age and there are many people who will say, well, they may say I'm non-religious. They may even be agnostic. They may even be atheist. Maybe they believe in God, but they, they say I'm not spiritual. Listen, I don't care who you are. Everyone worships something. Do you know why? Because when God created us, he created us as image bearers. You see, we are all reflecting an image. The the question is, what image is being reflected off of your life? And you will look like whatever you worship. I'm already preaching. I'm just trying to build my case. See, but God created you as an image bearer, so every human being cannot help but worship. The question is, what are you worshiping? 
You are actually designed and actually God actually designed it for you for it to work in your favor. But I'm getting ahead of myself. But let me prove to you that when you get the worship equation wrong, chaos happens. Can I prove it to you from the book of Romans? Okay, the book of Romans is one of my favorite books of the Bible. If you were to put me on a desert island and say, okay, you get to take one gospel and one book, I would probably take the gospel of John and then probably the book of Romans. Because Romans, they, some scholars call Romans the Paul's masterpiece. Because really, when you read the book of Romans, it's a theological masterpiece. He starts in the very beginning. He goes all the way through the history. And then, I mean, he ties everything together. I mean, the book of Romans is just incredible. Are you with me? And in Romans chapter 1, Paul builds this incredible case about sin. Listen to what he says. He says, for since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. They became futile in their thoughts and their their foolish hearts were darkened. So listen to what Paul said. Even though God's eternal attributes were on display, man began to turn away from God. It says they began to be unthankful and they were given over to a, they became futile in their thinking. Are you with me? Their hearts began to get corrupted. Listen to what he says. Professing to be wise, they became fools. That's a word for our time. We think we can solve the issues of man without God. Professing to be wise, we have, when I say we, you know what I mean. I'm talking about the nations. We have become fools. And listen to what Paul said. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. So it started with turning away, being unthankful. And slowly, Paul said, once the futile mind sets in, they exchange the image of God for another image. It says, like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them, uh, uh, gave them up to uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Listen, Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And here's the key. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Who is blessed forever. Amen. And if you keep reading. Paul goes for this reason. He gave them up to this. But do you see what Paul is saying? Whenever man turned away from God. Because how many know we were created to be image bearers? And he said, what happened is we turned away and we said, okay, we don't want God's image. We're going to build our own image. Right? And Paul said, we actually began to worship other gods. And out of this lack of worshiping of the true God, and because we worshiped other gods, all the sin... 
go read the book of Romans. He starts getting into every type. See, we look around and I don't know. Do you ever look around these days and be like, what in the world is going on? I mean, the perversion, the things they're trying to teach. Listen to me. The things they're trying to teach our kids. We're, see, we're looking around and we're wondering what in the world. It's very clear. The apostle Paul told us when you turn away from the image of God, when you stop worshiping the creator and you go your own way, he says, what's going to follow is a reprobate mind, vile and evil things. He said, people will be turned over to their own passions. It's because whenever you worship God, you, God actually transforms you and you begin to look more like God. But whenever you stop worshiping the image you were created to bear, you begin to worship other gods. You begin to take on their attributes. You see, because at the core of all of this problem, people are confused because they don't know God. Because that's, you know what the fruit of worshiping idols is? It's wickedness, it's sin, it's confusion, it's violence, it's anger, it's rage. It's chaos and Satan loves it. And see, I know when we read scriptures like this, we say, Andrew, that sounds so outdated. I don't see people carving images. Listen, you don't got to carve an image to have an idol. Idols are all around us right now. I mean, we could just start knocking them down, but let's just hit one. I believe probably that one of the greatest idols of this modern era is not necessarily a wooden image of some ancient deity. I think that the idol has actually become self. Where we where where in, in the nations and in our society, we have begun to try to set ourselves above God. You see, because we think that you have to direct. Oh, let me. Uh, See, th- th- this, is where, this is where the enemy's clever. The demonic does not only look like people who worship Satan. Because, see, he's clever. He knows everyone's not going to worship him literally. So what he does is he gets you to worship yourself. Or he gets you to worship your feelings. Or he gets you to worship, to serve at other altars. And you may never even say his name, but he's got you. And the God of this world is going around. And he's got people confused and trapped and bound. And they may not literally be worshiping Satan. But they're actually worshiping a form of Satan. Even if they're not saying his name. So the demonic works in many different ways. There are people who are so bound demonically who don't even believe in the demonic. Because they have set them, tried to set themselves above God. And they said, I, look, I don't need, I don't need, I don't need the Bible. I don't need the scriptures. I don't need the ways of God. I'll go my own way. All I need is my, is my mind. I'll figure this out. I'll make my own rules. And you see Satan's over here and he's having a field day. They may not be a literal Satan worshiper, but guess what? He has got them trapped. This is what Paul says later on. He says the, uh, the wisdom of this world is central and demonic. He's got a trap for everybody, even the ones who don't know that they're bound. 
Am I making it plain this morning? So when we, when we look around and we're seeing this chaos, yes, the root problem is, is sin, of course. But even tracing that further, it goes back to when not only did man turn away from God, we, mankind stopped beholding the image. Because everyone worships. The question is, what do we worship? What has at the deepest core of us, what has our affection, what has our attention? Are you with me this morning? And I believe that worship, see, worship is far more important than we even understand. Worship is so important. It not only... Not only is it seen throughout the whole narrative of scripture, I want you to see this in Exodus chapter 7. Did you know that God saved you so that you could worship him? I'm going to keep hammering this every time I preach because I like to remind you that we have got to, when we think of redemption, we have to think of what did God save me from and what did God save me for? Listen to what he told um, in Exodus chapter 7 when, when he was telling Moses to go before Pharaoh. He said, then say to him, the Lord, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go. Say, let my people go so that they may worship me. He goes before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. God says, let his people go because he's calling them into the wilderness to worship. So he's not just, he's not just delivering them out of Egypt. He's delivering them out of, which by the way, Egypt is a typology of sin. He's not just delivering them from Egypt and and from, from Pharaoh. He is delivering them from bondage so that they could go to the wilderness to be free to worship God. So God is, God is setting them free so that they can have an encounter With God. Isaiah chapter 43. I want you to see this. God is this thing of worship. It's not just an act. It's it's, it's a form of identity. It's not something we do one time. It's something we are. Isaiah chapter 43 says this in verse 21. The people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. You see, because worship is not just something we do occasionally. Worship is something that marks our life. And I got to say this. And, and, and when it says this, it says that God uh, told Moses, tell Pharaoh, let them go so that they may worship me. That word worship, the Hebrew word there is very interesting because it means worship. But connected with worship, it, it means to serve. In fact, some of the translations you're reading, it may say, let my people go so they may serve me in the wilderness. Some translations say, worship me in the wilderness. Because it all means the same thing anyway. Because when you look at the word, the word worship is implied, but it also means to serve. It means to be devoted. It means to be in covenant. It means to be like, to become like a servant, a bond servant, a a, a love slave. It means that I'm not just going to sing a song. Oh, I got to say this. Worship is not just singing a song. Worship is a lifestyle. 
And that's why I love in the Hebrew, you, could, you can't actually separate the implications of the word because to, wor- to serve him, I will serve him. But it means to worship, yes. But I, to worship him, I have to lay down my life. I have to give my affection. I have to be in covenant. See, it, there, there is no such thing as kind of being with God and kind of not being with God. There is no such thing as kind of loving him and not loving him. He, you see, because he thinks in terms of covenant. I, he, he says, I will make a covenant with you and you will have a covenant with me. He said, you will be my people and I will be your God. He goes, you are to not worship no other God but me. Are you with me this morning? And as God appeared before Moses, it said Moses made haste and worshiped. God declared his intentions right there to make a covenant. And of course, that word covenant, it implies to cut. Because the greater the covenant that was being made, the greater the cost of sacrifices would be needed to affirm it. And of course, on God's part, God's part of the covenant is, to, is ultimately to redeem us through the sacrifice of his son and to never forsake us. But our, the, the cost that was given to Israel, notice this, what did God require of them? Burnt offerings and sacrifices, right? Or, or he, he set into motion sacrifices for, for sin and all that. But ultimately, what was God calling Israel to do? He says, I'm going to take care of the redemption part. What am I calling you to do? He was calling them to love him. He was calling them to worship. Here's your part of the covenant. Love me, serve me, and worship me. That's your cost. Someone say, that's my cost. That's why later on, you'll remember again, when David said later down the road, he finally had an epiphany. Burnt offerings and sacrifices is not what you really want, Lord. But what you really want is a broken and contrite spirit. These are the sacrifices you want. Because, see, David had a revelation. You could could make the most expensive sacrifices all day. But guess what? Anybody can make a sacrifice, but without giving themselves. Does that make sense? Anybody could go and offer a sacrifice, but would hold their heart. Well, I made the sacrifice, Lord. Because that, that's not the end goal. The end goal is that the, that the sacrifice would be in our worship, that our whole life would be a, as Paul would later call it, a living sacrifice. Because once after the blood of Jesus, he said, I don't need your sacrifices. I need your, I need your heart. I need you to be the living sacrifice. Are you with me this morning? And in John chapter 4, verse 23, let me show you this. I love this. John chapter 4, verse 23. He says this. The father is seeking. Someone say seeking. True worshipers. Who will worship him in spirit and in truth. I love that because he says the father is seeking worshipers. He's seeking. You know, it's so interesting. A lot of times when we talk about seeking appropriately, yes, we talk about us, but we forget sometimes that God is also seeking something. And what is God seeking? Worshipers. Can I say something in the kindest way possible? We are in the process right now in America of God realigning some things in the church. 
Because for a long time, there was what they called the secret sensitive movement. And the premise of that movement was, we're going to build church around everything that people want. Please don't misunderstand my heart. I'm, there's a, I'm going somewhere. I'm a pastor. I believe in hospitality. I want people to be as comfortable as possible. Anything that we can do to make an opportunity for the gospel, anything we can do to get the gospel out, I'm all for. But here's the problem I have with the premise of, of that movement or that way of thinking. There's another seeker that we forgot to consult with. The problem is this, if you build the church around what people want, you'll get what people want, but you won't have any power there. Because God will say, okay, you can have what you want, and people will have an experience, but, but they'll still leave bound. They'll still leave the way they came in the door. Because God told Israel, consecrate yourself. He said, I'm going to do the wonders in your midst. The problem is sometimes we've tried to do the wonders. And God's saying, would you, I, 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 I'm seeking worshipers. If I can just get some worshipers, if I can just get some people who want to worship, I'll do the work. I'll do the miracle. I'll do the wonders. I'll show up in your midst. We saw it last week. How many know we saw it last week? All we did was worship and God showed up. Listen, we've got to, I, I don't want to get myself in trouble. I believe in make, be making people, I'll do whatever I can to make you comfort, comfortable. But here's at the end of the day, I'm after what he's seeking. I want what he's seeking. And the father says, I'm seeking worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. And, I, and God is calling his church to a higher level of worship where it's not about, hey, I'm going to worship if they play the song that I like. Or I'm going to worship if I'm in the mood that morning. I'm going to worship if I got my parking spot. I'm going to worship if I got the seat I wanted. No, no, no. God is looking for a people who understand when I come to church, I'm not coming for myself. I'm coming to bring him glory. I'm coming to lift up his name. I'm coming to worship because, you know, all the things that I can't fix, I can't fix it anyway. I need God to show up. Well, how many know we need God to show up and do what we can't do? And you know what I'm finding? A lot, of, a lot of those out there in the world, they just want the real thing anyway. People have tried everything. They, people are desperate and crying out for something real. And people need to have an encounter with the living God. Are you with me this morning? He said, the father is seeking. And worship is so, so important because when we worship, so much is happening. I mean, I, I, I think sometimes, like, I, I wish sometimes, like, God could, could re remove the veil off of our eyes and we could see everything that was going on when we worshiped. Because when we're worshiping and God's presence comes, you know, the, the scriptures literally say he inhabits the praises of his people. And so getting back to Genesis 
You ever notice that when you step into a service and God's spirit is moving, right? Our praises go up. All of a sudden, God begins to inhabit the praises of his people. Next thing you know, God is ruling and reigning in the place. God is dealing with the hearts of men and women. God is mending broken hearts. God is putting marriages back together. God is healing bodies. God is, God is doing so. You know why? Because he said, I'll inhabit the praises of my people. When God's people make room for him, when they come to worship him, he will show up and do what only he can do. And can I, can I just hit this point one more time? You know what I love about God? God calls us to worship. I preached this before, but I, this bears repeating. You see, we should worship him simply for if no other reason than this reason right here. He's worthy. Right? Okay. Amen. We agree. He's wonderful. He's so good. He's so beautiful. But you know what I love about him? I sat in the shower the other day thinking this when I was praying. I don't know why I got my best of my best praying times in the shower. The shower and my car. I don't know what it is. If I need it, if I need it, I just. And I was sitting there giving God glory. And I had this thought. I'm giving God glory. Does he have glory if I don't give it to him? Yes. You see, here's the paradox of worship. God deserves all the honor and all the glory. But whether I worship him or not, he's going to be God. Whether I worship him or not, he has honor. His name is above every name. The, The earth is his footstool. I mean, my God. Here's what's so incredible. Who really gets the benefit from worship? That's how good God is. Because God, actually, if he wanted to, he could say, worship me because I'm good. And that alone would be good. Even if we never got anything from it, we should worship for that one fact. But he's so good. This is what he said. I, you know what I believe? He gave us the gift of worship. Because when we worship, we get the gift of beholding the image of God. As we behold the image of God, we are transformed. Because that's why the Apostle Paul talks about the one day when we're called up to be with the Lord. It says, when we see him, we will be like him. You see, in worship, we get glimpses. We see his image. Every time you come out of his presence, you come out looking and smelling more like him. Or else we should. You see, because God gave us that gift. He said, when you're going to give me worship, right? And he deserves it. But he goes, I'm so good. I'm going to let you benefit from it. God gave us worship because in the absence of worship, not only does he not get the glory he deserves, in the absence of worship, you and I are a mess. Amen. 
Because if I don't behold his image, I'm going to behold another image. And I'll tell you what, I, I've made that mistake. I've made that mistake. And I'll tell you what, anytime I've beheld another image in my life, the fruit has never been good. But you know what I've noticed? If I behold his image, he satisfies the deep things in your heart. He, 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 the things that you're longing for. Hear me, somebody. The things that you're longing for, that you're looking for, and all these other things. God has a way of satisfying. God has a way of, 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 of not only setting you free, but giving you the desires of your heart as he transforms your life. I don't know about you, but I've walked with the Lord long enough to realize this. That's why I can't go a day without worshiping because I, can't, I need to behold him. Because this world is doing everything it can to say, look at this image, behold this image. This is who you are. This is supposed to, this is who you're supposed to be. This is the way you're supposed to think. And God's like, no, just keep looking. Behold me, behold me. You're an image bearer. I created you in my image. I created you in my image. In this covenant, you are to worship no other God but me. Have you ever noticed that when you worship, when you come out of worship, it shifts everything? Nothing may have even changed in your life. When you, you see, sometimes when we enter worship, we're carrying so many things. But sometimes when we, when we go into worship, we come out of worship just at a, feeling really just relieved, um, answered prayer, peace presence, right? And when we come out, maybe nothing has changed. It's because our perspective has shifted. Even if everything around us hasn't shifted yet, one of the gifts that worship does for us is it realigns us and it it gets our attention back on God and it shifts our perspective. And that's what I love about worship and praise. Let me give you this as we close. Are you guys with me? Did you know that every year that Israel was commanded for at least three festivals. Every year they had to go to Jerusalem for these three feasts. How many know that's true? And and oftentimes when you go to the um, the Holy Land, you'll see that, that, that Jerusalem is actually elevated. So like if you were to go to like Jericho, for example, Jericho, uh, which is the first, uh, city that Israel conquered uh, in the, in the promised land It's 846 uh, feet below sea level. But the closer you get towards Jerusalem, the elevation gets higher. Track with me. And every year, as as the Israelites would make their way to Jerusalem, there was three feasts that they were commanded to go to Jerusalem for. They would literally, on their way to Jerusalem to worship, they were elevating. Literally in the natural and in the spiritual. Stick with me. Literally on their journey, as they made their way towards Jerusalem, they were literally elevating. Not only that, they sang particular psalms out of the book of Psalms. They're actually called the songs of ascent. These are 15 psalms in the book of Psalms, and they're called the songs of ascent because on their way to worship, they would sing these songs. And it was about, someone say this, going up. Come on, say it like you had some breakfast. Going up to worship. Because what happens when we worship 
is we're ascending. I got to close, but can I preach for two minutes while I got left? You see, when you get up in the morning, when you got up this morning and you, you got up and you started singing your favorite worship song as you're getting ready this morning. And you're putting on your, your shirt and you look so good this morning. And you were brushing your teeth, hopefully, thank God. Or hopefully you had some coffee before to wake you up. Then you're brushing your teeth, you're getting ready, you're singing. See, on your way here, you may not have even noticed it, but you're, you're, you're a part of an ancient tradition of the people of God. You're not going down to church, you're going up to church. As you are headed here, you are ascending. Can I preach to somebody? That's why, that's why I love uh, church attendance because we're called an assembly. Listen, every time you come here is a prophetic act. What you're telling the enemy is whatever is going on in my life, whatever I'm facing in my family, it's not going to stop me from going up to the house of God. And on my way to the house of God, I'm going to sing. His praises are going to be on my lips. You see, y'all, you see, David, you start to realize David knew some things. That's why he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Yes, you can praise Jesus all by yourself, but there's a blessedness to coming here and elevating with other believers because what we're doing when we're coming here is we're ascending the hill of the Lord. Why? Because we are a people who are a part of a covenant. And as we worship God, God does wonders in this place. So just like three times a year, Israel would make their way. And as they would go, they were ascending. Not only were they were ascending in the natural, they were singing songs of ascension. That, that because they were going up. Someone say up. But not just that. As we worship and as we ascend, he is descending. Someone say he is descending. But you know what I love about the going up part? And I got to close if I can get the worship team. Today's the day of Pentecost, right? So this was one of the feasts that Israel had to come to Jerusalem for. Shaviot, Shaviot, Pentecost. So they were already coming up to Jerusalem. And I love the Bible. What the Bible says on the day of Pentecost, they weren't just, they didn't just come up to the city for the feast. They were in an upper room. And I'll never forget, my grandpa used to always tell me this growing up. He used to say, he used to say in, in the way that he says it in his voice, son, you got to stay above street level. And it, here's, this is what I'm telling you. Everyone of us needs to learn how to ascend every day. Every single one of us needs to go, know, know how to go up. That's why the Bible says that Jesus would wake up early and go climb on a hill somewhere and he would ascend and be with the Lord. Why? Because you're not going to fix nothing going on down here. We're trying to fix everything down here. But what we need to first do is go up. And I, obviously I'm not talking about literally. You understand what I'm saying? I'm talking spiritually because when you're worshiping, you're elevating. That's why the Bible says, set your affections on the things above. Come on, set your affections on the things above. Where? On the things above. You got to go up and see as you ascend in worship. 
he comes down. He comes down. And he does what only he can do. I want you to stand to your feet with me. We're going to pray some specific prayers. You know what I'm praying? That God just... I love what God's doing and, and inspired. How many know? How many can feel it? Lately, he's, His Spirit has been moving. What I love about here, and I, I pray this just continues. This would be my... Like if you were to say, Drew, like what's your heart for, for Inspire? This would be my heart. And when you were gathered here, the first note on that keys. Just go for it. Every week. I don't care what song you're playing. I don't care what key you're playing. I don't care if my favorite worship leader is leading that day or not. My prayer is that we come here knowing why we're here. What? I don't know if you know this or not. You're not coming just to receive something. You come to church with an assignment. Because when we come here collectively and offer up the sacrifice of worship, which sometimes it feels, sometimes it feels wrong even calling it a sacrifice because how many know it really should, I mean, it's really not a sacrifice, if you know what I mean. But some of you, let me, let me, let me commend some of you because I felt this in my spirit. I feel like God wants me to tell someone though, he does appreciate you coming here because some of you this morning, you fought things just to get here. I, 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 when I said it, I felt, I felt, I felt this touch on that. I need to tell somebody you fought some stuff this weekend to get here. Let me tell you something. God sees it, and God is more impressed with the sincerity of your pursuit than he is with the the pretending, right? God, I just feel that someone in this room, you have fought hell just to get here this weekend, just to be here this morning and you're facing some stuff. Let me, let, let me say this before we pray. This is what God put in my spirit so strong this morning. He told Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can worship me. It is God's desire that you would be free to worship him. You see, because during the ministry of Jesus, people came to Jesus bound. And even though they were bound, they were able to worship. You notice that? And he would set them free. But what God doesn't want for our lives is for us just to experience his presence, but still leave bound. Because God is so good, he'll let you feel his touch. But that doesn't necessarily mean you got free. What I'm trying to say is God's heart for you. God's saying, 
I want to go further than just that. I want to set you free so that you can worship with all of your heart. Because here's why. Until you're free, your affections are divided. You're tormented. You're bound. And God told me today, when we're praying a second, there's going to be a special grace released for deliverance. And when I say deliverance, I know that's a word that gets on a lot. God is saying he, wa- he wants to set some people free in their heart so that you can freely worship him because you can't even freely worship him because your heart is divided in a hundred different directions. You can't, you, I, I even saw like a picture of someone being so sincere, like, God, I want to, I want to worship you with my heart, but your heart is in a thousand places. And God says, I want to set you free. You can't, you try, you can't, but God says, I have to set you free. I have to literally, he had to remove Israel from Egypt so that they could worship. Because as long as you're still in Egypt, you're, you're. So I want you to lift your hands with me. I want to ask our altar workers to come. See, because sometimes we worship enough for the touch, but God wants some of you to worship for the deliverance. God wants you to worship until the, for your breakthrough. God wants you to worship until he sets you free. But right now, with every eye closed, if you've never given your heart to the Lord, I just want you to wave at me. I see your hands and online. Let's pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, come on, pray this with me, Inspired Church. Dear Heavenly Father, I need your forgiveness. I confess my sin. I repent of my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I make a decision to follow you. This day. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's give them a hand clap. This is what I want to do. We're closing. We're, we're closing. But if you feel drawn, I'm going to pray for two things today. We're going to pray on this Pentecost Sunday for a fresh touch. How many of you would want a fresh touch on your life? Come join me. And we're going to pray for some deliverance from some things. You don't got to say it out loud. You don't got to speak it. But there's an anointing here today. But God says, I want to set you free so that you can worship with your whole heart. As many as you can, come join me. Can we just lift our hands? And in just a few moments, we're going to go into worship. How many of you want a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit upon your life? In honor of Pentecost Sunday, I just I just felt led to give this invitation. We're going to pray for that. And I'm going to pray, just pray to pray these prayers. I'm, I'm praying for a special grace for deliverance. I really felt strong today. You know, right now, in, not only in our culture, but it just you can feel the, the palpable anxiety, anger, anxiousness, depression, torment. 
And so I really feel like there's going to be in, in God's presence today a real deliverance from fear. And things that have kept maybe you bound because the Lord is what is his heart for you is that you would be set free to work. Here's my question. What would your worship look like if it was unshackled? You see, because when Israel got to the mountain, they still had a lot of Egypt in them. And God was calling them into an encounter to get it out of them. Amen. So with your hands lifted, just, and if, and, and if you want to pray with me, pray in the spirit, pray however you want. Dear heavenly father, right now, I feel your touch in this place. Holy spirit. I God, I pray for times of refreshing. I pray for times of feeling of your spirit. Not just because it's Pentecost Sunday. But God, I'm praying for a fresh touch of your spirit because we need it in these times, God. When the Apostle Paul said, be filled with the spirit, he didn't just mean one time. He said, go on continually being filled. And I'm just praying over your life. And I felt this today over your family. Some of you are standing in the gap for your family. I'm praying for times of refreshing over you and your family. I just see that. I just pray for, for waves of refreshing, not only over you, but over your family. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Waves, peace, peace, peace in your home, peace, peace. Father, I thank you for delivering in this season. Deliver, I thank you for deliverance from fear, God. Deliverance from anxiety, God. Deliverance from anxiousness, God. God, I'm just, I'm just praying, God, for you would pour out your spirit in this place and on your people, God. I thank you for re- re- releasing rivers of living water in this place, God. You're giving the gift of peace, God. Release your peace. Release your presence. Come on, there's a river here. It's a gift. Come on, just begin to open up your mouth. Some of you are going to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit right now. Just begin to lift up your voice. If you need to go, of course you're dismissed, but please, I want you, let's contend for just a few more moments because the Lord is doing something in this place. Come on, can we worship? Come on, lift up your voice. God is, God is doing something at this altar.